Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. say that season two is going to be absolutely incredible because in season two i have a co-host co-host say hello hello that's caroline she's now my co-host so season two of shareable is going to be a little bit different we're still talking about people and technology but we're going to go a little bit deeper a master class so grab your favorite pen and your favorite piece of paper and get ready to take some notes because this is shareable Welcome back to the Shareable Podcast, and my name is Jeff Gibbard, and with me, as always, is my fabulous co-host. Caroline Tassone. Hey, what's up? That's right. We're here, and we're back for another episode in Sales Week. And this Sales uh, Week? Sales Week, represent. Uh, this uh, episode, we are talking with the, the wonderful, the incomparable, the never-duplicated and often-imitated Ash Sadiq. Ash, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Caroline. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm so glad you could find the time to uh, step away from your podcast to be on ours and educate our listeners about what sets the top 1% of sellers apart from one another. That is the name of your podcast, correct? That is correct, yes. So you really have delved deep into that insight around what makes certain salespeople better than others, and I thought this would be a great topic to bring you on onto Shareable because this week we've been focused all on uh, sales techniques, uh, whether it's prospecting or closing or building rapport or just knowing what to do as a salesperson. Uh, So I thought, what better way to tie it all together than to talk about those upper 1% of salespeople and what makes them so great. So fantastic. I'm glad you came on for it. So let's start by uh, talking a little bit about you. So Ash, tell us about you and please feel free to humble brag and tell people about the accomplishments you've had in your, in your career, uh, what you're working on, like who you work with exactly and, and, and what your kind of general day-to-day looks like. Absolutely. Uh, very excited to be here. So I think the, the key piece of background on me was I used to actually be a university instructor, high school teacher, teaching people how to speak English all the way back in the land of the pyramids, that's Egypt. And I came to the U.S. and I basically said, how can I take this sort of academic background transferred into corporate environment Long story short, I got into sales training, and I got into sales training in a big way when I started working for Oracle Corporation in Silicon Valley, and Oracle is one of the, basically, I think it's the second largest software company in the world, and at that time, they wanted to te- to train all their sales force on value selling uh, methodology of sales. They've been always selling sort of from a technical perspective, here's what the software, here's what the software does, but rarely have they actually spoken the language of the business from, in terms of the benefits of this of, that the software is actually going to help that business deliver as well as eventually how it's going to actually drive some business metrics at the end of the day is it going to help increase revenue cut costs redu- reduce risk and so on so i got into oracle and i worked with an amazing team of former management consultants I came from Deloitte and Touche at that point, and we basically put our hats, you know, our hats on. How do we create a high-performance sales methodology for Oracle? And we ended up developing what's called the solution value assessment for Oracle teams, consulting and sales. And took that experience, then went on to other companies like Cisco. Ended up working with the top 200 accounts at Cisco. Saw what it means to have a 20 
80-20 rule in operation where you have 20% of the sales force bringing in 80% of the revenue. And we started looking at how do you even develop people like that? You know, they are already making millions of dollars. They can literally sleep at home and don't even touch a thing. And Cisco will still have money coming in from AT&T, from Verizon, from Wells Fargo and all these other companies. But the question that the executives came to us with was, these people are already successful. They are already making money. We need to find a way to help them even do better than what they are doing today. And that was um, the opportunity for me, as well as other people at Cisco, to take a look at what really drives high performance. How can we even get them to do even better than what they are doing today? And that is really sort of the big aha moment that happened for me as I worked with such amazing global account managers, client directors, account executives that basically run multi-million dollar franchises for Cisco, selling its services and products to large enterprise companies or service provider companies. Very cool. Well, let me ask you this then. So you you did um, work with those kind of the upper 1% of the upper 1% and the charge to you was how do you make them even better? So we're, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to kind of break down a lot of those secrets and things that you've learned in there. But will this episode be applicable to beginner salespeople or only to those that are already in a, a really high performing spot that are looking to get better? Kind of where does your methodology kind of break for people versus where does it provide the most value? Yeah, it's definitely the latter community of people who are really good at what they do, and they are basically trying to find out how can I even do better than what I'm doing. So uh, definitely there are other places where those who are starting out can tap into, but I really focus where I can make a whole lot more of a difference, which is I take those who are at the upper 20% and I work with them to get them to the top 1%, and that's really where we start seeing a much, much bigger revenue impact for their sales activities. Awesome. So this is for this episode then, just to clarify for those listening, this is an episode for leaders of companies that are looking to take their top salespeople to the next level. This is also for uh, excellent salespeople who would generally be in the top 20% of a team that are looking to break through uh, the limits that they, they currently have hit. Now, if you are not one of those two groups that I just mentioned, doesn't mean you can't listen and enjoy the sweet, sultry sounds of our voices. <laughs> um, and you may even uh, learn things yourself, but that's just who this episode will probably be most valuable for. So wanted to get that out of the way. So Ash, what are we going to yes. talk about today? And tell me a little bit about why it's valuable for salespeople in this upper 20% to learn these tricks of the trade. Give me kind of an overview of what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. So I think what people are always looking for is, you know, they will always say, hey, Jeff, Caroline, Ash, tell us where do we focus our efforts? Where, what, is, what is the variable that is going to give me the highest bang for my effort, right? So we're going to basically then tell that audience you know, what are the mastery areas that they need to be thinking about and which ones are going to be this type of variable, the variable that's going to make a huge difference for them from a performance standpoint, right? And when we looked at, when I looked at the experience at, at Oracle, looking across thousands of sales professionals, looking across hundreds of experts that talk about sales and sales coaching and high performance, and then we came back from there and I ended up basically then creating what's called the top 1% seller's blueprint, which really answers the questions, what are those variables that make the biggest difference? And that's really what, what we can unpack here. Excellent. So before we get into what you should do, let's briefly cover what you shouldn't do. So, so in working with these high performers, I'm sure 
being that they're high performers, they already probably think that they've got it all in the bag. They already know exactly what they're doing. But there's probably a couple mistakes or maybe one particular mistake that people make when they're trying to go from where they are to that next level where they really focus on those those areas where they can have exponential growth. What are some of the things that you've seen in people that they may think is the right move but turns out being the wrong thing? Uh, I think the biggest one is really thinking that everything that got them to where they are, if they are in that top 20%, they will be thinking that everything they have done to that point is is essentially what's going to get them to the next level, right? And that's and that's really where we need to have a, a mental shift, a mindset shift, shift to the says everything that you've done to date may actually work against you rather than for you if you don't think about it in the right way and if you don't open up, you know, the mindset and your own vantage point to other ideas and other different ways of doing things. That is the fundamental uh, uh, tricky area where a lot of sales professionals will be think, hey, I, I got here, now I'm top 20%, I should be able to go to the top 1% easy. I can count on everything that I've used in the past. And, and that's w- where you see a lot of sales professionals really tripping up. That's fascinating that to get to that upper 20%, you have a set of tactics that are going to work. But to get that extra oomph beyond that, you kind of have to abandon that and go into new and uncharted areas. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, then let's dive into that. Let's start at the top. You're working with the 20%, top 20% salesperson. So let's take my organization. I'm in the top 20% because I'm pretty much the only salesperson. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's not take my organization. But um, you're in an organization, you're dealing with somebody, they're in the top 20%. What's one of the first areas where you go to work with them, where you start to either assess them, you uh, you know ask them questions, or you take a look at their results? You know, What are some of the first things that you're going to look at and start with? The very first thing that I will try to uncover are their own views on how far can they run in the race, right? And by that, I mean, they might think, you know what, my business is making a million dollars. My dad used to make $50,000 a year. I'm making a million. I'm actually absolutely fine. A million is awesome. This is good. We're not going to go any better, right? So there are typically some fundamental limits and ceilings that we as human beings create for ourselves. Even sales professionals, they might say, hey, I'm hitting my quota. I'm making 150%, 200, 300, not realizing that. Let's just take an example. If AT&T is buying products and services from IBM, from Cisco, from any other company for a billion dollars, right? You might be thinking, wow, we're actually bringing in a billion dollars out of AT&T on an annual basis. We're really doing well. We should not really do any more. But only to find out that AT&T, for example, is spending $20 billion on the products and services that are similar to what you sell. That essentially gives you like a big aha moment. It's like, wait a second, $20 billion and we're only getting a billion out of that? That's a wallet share thought process where you realize all of a sudden that the addressable market with AT&T is actually $20 billion and all you're getting is only $1 billion. And all of a sudden, it throws everything that you're thinking about completely out the window because now you have to think completely differently. You have to think from the standpoint of our customer is spending this much money on these products and services. And by the way, that is exactly what we sell. And by the way, we're only selling for a billion dollars. Right. Um, yeah. Let me let me ask you this as as a kind of clarifying question. So you're talking yes. about assessing what currently is right. So we have a billion 
and their total spend right now in products similar to our 20 billion is the way that you're looking to assess that also trying to expand the thinking of, well, maybe they're only spending, say, $3 billion, but could we shift the conversation so that there's a possibility that they actually spend more than $3 billion to, say, $6 billion, and we can capture that additional market? So looking exactly. for – Okay, good. Yeah. So I just want to make sure exactly. that we're also not just dealing in what is, but also want to make sure that we're also dealing in what's also possible. Exactly. So that's really the main point is that you really get them thinking about what's possible, right? Because of the fact that now we're not looking at it from from our own vantage point, but we're looking at it from the customer's vantage point. And then we come back and say, what does this mean for us? If we're going to play at this level, what does that mean, right? Because that this might mean we've been selling for a billion dollars with to the IT departments, we're talking to IT uh, professionals within AT&T, but we never had a conversation with the head of wireless services, the head of enterprise services. And when we do that, that's a whole different uh, playing field for us. And in order to do that, we need to be able to have the skills, the conversation skills, the background, the industry understanding that will actually get us that seat at the table so we can have that conversation. And we can basically say we earn the right now to talk at that level, to talk about a deal that might actually be in the two to three billion, as you just said. So before you can even get into the doing, you first have to assess the mindset. And that mindset is going to be based upon either uh, what is or what is possible. So that's going to be the first step for anybody that you're dealing with is assessing their mindset. Exactly. And that's really, you've really nailed it, Jeff, because that is, when you take a look at the top, uh, at uh, our website, top1percentsellers.com, the very first thing we say is that out of our research and our analysis of top sellers, the biggest thing that will make the biggest difference is really understanding the mindset aspect. And that really, when we take a look at the top 1% sellers uh, blueprint, the very first mastery bucket is the self-mastery bucket. And it becomes very critical pivot pivotal moment for all these sellers when they realize that the thought process, the mindset that they have is the biggest factor in how much money and how much, how far they're going to go when they really understand what is happening in that box first before they, they can basically then take a look at the outside world. What do you do with somebody who feels as though maybe that that market's been capped out and then you look at it and you think, they might be right. Maybe this market is capped out or this particular client is capped out or whatever. Um, you know, how do you deal with kind of, you know, the realities that sometimes maybe like, let's say you're a small company and, and the market's just saturated and, you know, it's a small town. I'm just giving extremes for the sake yes. of, of illustrating yes. the point. But what do you do when you confront the reality that maybe, well, you know, their mindset is in the right place. They feel like it's big, but you look at the reality and there's not. How do you deal with that? I, one of the things that, especially you know, at companies like Cisco, they have been really good at doing is that you actually take it upon yourself to gather market insights and you, you gather industry insights and you try to show some customers, you know what, Mr. Customer or Miss Customer, you're spending now $100,000 on marketing. And here's where your business is at today. Here's what other people are doing. Here's how much bigger their business is. We think there might be an opportunity if we shifted our thought process in terms of what's our market, how we're approaching our market, the services that we offer. And we need to step back and take a look again at marketing and see how can marketing really help us expand the, 
you know our views on what's the market what we can serve you know how can we service that market and then we can come back and say how do we start working now in order to create that perception of our customers because because to your point the customer it's themselves may start really sort of positioning you in that bucket in their own mind that that's that's if you're doing like five hundred thousand dollar worth of business with them they will basically walk around thinking that's really where you need to stay as well unless you can have a conversation with them and we can call it a visioning or visioneering conversation where you're really getting them to think about their own business in a different way and now you're not talking about your products and services you're really talking about their business what's happening in their industry and some of the insights that you're able to observe and really come back and just have a conversation even make it make it sound like it's a very cursory conversation where the customer will then say you know what i really haven't thought about that you know what that's worth digging into right and all of a sudden you got them intrigued into a certain path that's going to open up an opportunity for them and on the back end of that opportunity for them is an opportunity for you to sell and provide more services and products love it absolutely love it so let i want to stick with the example that you used of uh, a billion dollar market that's being seen into expanding the conversation into a $20 billion market. So let's assume that in this example that we're going to kind of keep running with, you're dealing with somebody in the top 20%. They are, you know, they know that their company sales are a billion dollars to this client that they then find out has a $20 billion uh, capacity in that market. And when when you walk them through kind of hitting that first milestone, can you take me to how you look at that next milestone and work backwards from there? So are you telling them to set like a super ridiculous ambitious goal as part of their mindset or are you trying to tell them to get little wins along the way? You know, what's your process of working with someone now that you've broken them free of the constraints that they thought they understood? Yeah, I think I think the first thing for us will be to really really sort of Ask them to reserve the judgment, right? Um, suspension of disbelief. Like if you say to them, you know what, I think you guys can make $3 billion or, or $3 million, and they're basically, no, you're out of your mind, right? So the first thing we have to do is let's just put that on the side. You know, let's take our own expectations of how much we're going to make and shelf it, parking lot item. And basically, let's just take a look at that customer. You know, what are they buying on an annual basis? And they're buying this and this and that. How much are they spending? They're spending, you know, $20 billion. Well, how much of that is similar, looks like the products and services that we sell? And we come up with a realistic assessment on that. And then we basically say, if we looked at our own partners, how many of them can service, can provide products that this customer is buying. And then we all of a sudden identify that a multiplier effect starts happening in our own thought process, whereby we're not just looking at Cisco, we're looking at Cisco and partners of Cisco that can then come to the table in a connected value proposition fashion and end up capturing a much bigger wallet share with that customer because in the beginning, we were just thinking about ourselves. We were thinking about own, our own toolbox, our own products and services that we sell. Whereas once we 
enlarge our, you know, our vision in terms of what else can happen, how can we really put that customer's best interest in mind, that would actually lead us to think, you know what, maybe there are some things that we don't have, but that does not mean that we get out of the picture. We can actually stay in the picture and really come across to that customer that we are a trusted advisor. We can really help them craft a value proposition out of several pieces. Some of them are from Cisco, some of them are from somebody else, but at the end of the day, we still remain connected and part of the conversation and part of the strategic discussions that take place and end up really bringing players to the table to provide these solutions. Because a lot of the time, customers do not want to be dealing with many, many vendors. They don't want to deal with a lot of account managers. If one account manager can really establish the relationship and the trusted advisor status with them, they would want that person to be the window through which they see the rest of the world, right? And it's it, it just because it simplifies a lot of things for them. Absolutely. And I was actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it segues into what I want to ask you about next, which... Um, you know, we've been talking about this sort of in uh, almost in product-centric terms. We're saying, you know, maybe we have the best solution. They're spending this much money on this category, et cetera. And I was going to ask you, in in your work with the upper one percent of salespeople, how much of their ability to drive revenue growth and to drive sales has to come down to relationships? And you you kind of hit on the single point of contact is probably easier for someone who's buying that number of services rather than managing multiple vendors. But but how much is relationship building, rapport building, um, you know, who you know, all of those aspects of sales, how much is that coming into play at that upper 1% level? Uh, it does really feature in at a, in a high way, but it, it, features, it features into the equation in a very big way based on how skillful you are in really having that conversation that I was alluding to, whereby we're really coming across with insights, we're, we're getting the customer to think differently, not just about what they're buying from us, but how they're actually viewing their own business and their own industry. If we can become those kinds of people who, who have these types of conversations with the customer, then the relationship by definition is a much more unique relationship because we're coming across as people who are an extension of their thought process about how they're going to take care of business today and also how to take care of business going forward. Um, so it's a higher level than just rapport, right? It's a, it's a higher level where you're really sort of sitting down on Sunday and thinking, you know, that customer that's financial in financial services or in high tech or uh, retail, what are they struggling with? You know, what are they listening to? Who else have they not heard from? And I do the best I can to look at their conferences. I look at guest speakers that they brought in and ask myself, is there another window that I can go open and find some nuggets, bring them in and use them to continue to enhance my image and my perception with that customer to the point that they say, when somebody says, let's come together for a meeting to talk about X, Y, and Z, and they immediately say, you know what, let's call Jeff. He needs to be part of this conversation. And all of a sudden, you are there much, much earlier than when they start thinking about, let's put an RFP out, right? Uh, you've Because you, I've seen this happen at Deloitte & Touche, where I used to work as a management consultant, and these management consulting companies, they figured this out a long time ago, right? They thought, they really figured out how to get embedded in the thought process and also in these strategic very critical meetings where decisions are made on what to buy and when and for what reason. Got it. So when you're talking about the relationship at, at that level of sales, it's less the relationship of do I like this person and it's more do I trust this person and their expertise in their ability to help drive value for our organization. And not that those things aren't obviously helpful at the at the 
um, smaller scale or at the lower level of, of uh, sales uh, consultants or sales uh, salespeople. But that yes. at that highest level, it's really when you get down to those giant decisions and you're selling at that highest level, it's really about being thought leader and known um, and influential and being able to drive value for your client. Uh, absolutely. And I think even in, in you know, again, I, I like what, what you just said, because when you think about small, medium, large businesses, in all of these cases, customers resonate in a very big way to use cases, right? Like if you tell them, you know, we've seen this customer facing a similar challenge. Here's what they have been able to do. Here's where we came into that solution. And here are the results that we've been able to achieve. Now it's a much more factual, data-driven conversation than we can do social media for you, and um, here's what we do. Here are the packages we have. Here's how much it's going to cost you. But if I start with, you know what, let's step back and just share with you some use cases because we think these use cases will actually provide some insights in terms of what you can tap into, what would make sense for your business. And then after you have taken a look at these use cases and see what we've been able to help others, maybe we can then pick and choose some of those pieces and really kind of create a puzzle piece for you that will make sense for your business. It's not a sell in this case, right? It's actually more of a consultation. It's a way to give them a process by which they actually, uh, you're helping them buy versus you are helping yourself sell. Yeah, I really love that. Um, you know, we just spoke with uh, Jeffrey Gittimer earlier, and um, and he has the the classic quote of um, people don't like to be sold, but they sure love to buy. Um, or, exactly. I'm paraphrasing it, but um, yes. yeah, I'm I'm very much in the same um, same boat as I believe that fully. And and then it's 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 fascinating because all of a sudden the sale is much bigger than you expected it to be. It's a long longer term relationship than otherwise, and you've been in, through these experiences where you got on the phone with with a professional on the other end, and they don't start selling. They you start asking you a few questions. They try to find out exactly where you are at, and what information they can provide you at that particular junction, in in your buying process. And they're not pressuring you to walk through their own sales process, but they are willing to really pace themselves to how you are flowing with the buying process that you are uh, going through. Yeah, and and everything I know of top salespeople, and obviously I haven't spent as much time with the top 1% of them, but all the best salespeople I know are very consultative. It's very much about helping to solve problems. And really, what is sales but matching um, solutions to a problem? Um, in yes. exchange for money, right? So absolutely, yeah. Okay, so so let's kind of recap real quick. You you've got somebody as a top seller. You you go and you check out their mindset. You identify what they believe is possible. You begin to look at the market for clues of what else might be possible, and then you encourage them to go in there and um, really suspend their disbelief to go in and try and provide solutions for a client and believe that maybe there's something else possible in terms of. Uh, you know, a, a greater scale of results. What comes next? Yeah, so so really right now what we are at this stage where we are essentially then opening up the window of possibilities to how do we think about value creation? Value creation essentially means that you're going above and beyond what everybody expects of you. And that is that second mastery that we have in the top 1% sales blueprint. We basically take a look at the skills that a sales professional when he or she thinks of the fact that they are going to win together and even if they lose, they're not going to lose alone in the sense that they need to think that 
if they're working in, in a five-person company, there are five people that they can tap into. If they're working in a thousand-member company, they have so much, so many more people that they can tap into their expertise. In thinking about in thinking about this customer, thinking about their industry and what we could possibly do for them. So that open opportunity for brainstorming and thinking about not just about the products and services that we provide, what else can become an extension of what we do and can become a part of an, a bigger solution that this customer might need. And can we do the homework? Can we go talk to these people and understand how their solution fits, get all the stuff figured out before we even go to the customer and say, hey, we've looked at the universe and we really thought, you know what, our pieces do provide value, but they don't really give you the full picture that you're looking for. And here's what we've done. We've looked at three other vendors. They have a few other pieces that are complementary to what we do. And we thought that if we did the homework and really came to you with a complete set of solutions that will make a big difference in your business, we've done that homework. We vetted them out. Here's the one we we thought would be not just uh, uh, good for us to work with, but also given your culture and what where, where we see your business going, we think they, are, they will be a fantastic partner for you and for us as well. And here's what that extended solution looks like. And by the way, Jeff here, who's the account manager, I will be your single point of contact as you work through all of that, right? So this is the skill where Again, you know, traditionally a salesperson will be thinking about my quota and what my company sells. I need to go and try to convince the, the, the customer to buy my stuff. And now we're basically thinking, let's really think in a broader perspective, understand what are the needs that the customer have and come back. Uh, and then come back and think about what solutions do I have? Do I need to complement in any other way? Can I do that homework for the customer, right? Can I come across as proactive, thinking about their best interest, holistically uh, looking at, you know, systemically what can make a difference for that customer and then coming to the table with these options and be able to be very, very confident in the fact that I have a piece of the puzzle and someone else has a couple of other pieces, but I'm here to make your life much easier, Mr. Customer, and let me help you through that process. That approach, I mean, you're basically expanding the market by bringing in others, but you're also expanding your own slice of the pie by bringing in others and being a complete solution, which I'd imagine can be very scary to large organizations who are worried about, um, you know, the idea of potentially endorsing another company unless they have, you know, a strategic partnership with them. So it's it sounds a little bit risky, but when you think about the mathematics of it, of you know, it's that whole idea of you know, it's not necessarily getting a bigger slice of the pie, but making the pie bigger. Um, that's kind of what it sounds like you're saying there. Yes, and also definitely, and another piece of it is that a lot of uh, when when you when you watch Shark Tank and you see these entrepreneurs coming and pitching their ideas, a lot of the time they are single-mindedly focused on their own idea, right? There's another guy that's working for IBM, for example, and he's trying to sell services to Wells Fargo, and he can clearly see the services that Wells Fargo needs is with ABC Company. Because of his confidence in the fact that he's working for IBM, he basically says to himself, forget IBM. I'm going to go to this company, ABC. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to vet their solution out. I know exactly what my customer wants, right? And then and then I'm going to go to, to my customer and say, you know what? I'm, being, I'm, going, I'm going to be very honest with you. IBM does not have this solution. But I've done my homework, and I found where the solution is. But you know what we want to do, Mr. Customer? We do not want, want to... Uh, 
basically leave you high and dry trying to figure things out with that vendor. What we're going to do is we're basically going to have a relationship with them so that we can still continue to manage the interaction, make sure that you're getting the best solution possible. And by the way, this is not going to cost you a whole lot more. The fact that we're participating in the activity is to make sure that we are going to be the best interface for you, a single point of contact. And we're going to make sure these these companies deliver what they promise. And we're going to continue to engage with you and make sure that you get what you're looking for. Now, So now this basically told us that this salesperson from IBM, he clearly understood or she clearly understood that what needs to happen here is that we need to continue to maintain that customer relationship, protect it, you know, like platinum gold, right? And in so doing, we need to be open to the fact that one day, maybe what we got is not what the customer wants. But somehow we need to still be in the picture, even if the deal is transacted with that ABC company, I am still looking think, looking and thinking long term. And I am willing to sacrifice an opportunity now for a much bigger opportunity long term and the relationships itself become sustained that way. And I don't drop off the picture. That makes perfect sense. Totally get it. All right. Well, Ash, I'm not going to make you go through absolutely every aspect of your top one per seller's blueprint because that would not be cool because then people wouldn't have any incentive to go and listen to your show, which they absolutely should. You interview incredible people and I think it's well worth people's time. So um, I want to ask you if you're willing to give away one little additional element of secret sauce before I let you go. Um, so if you've got any other tips that differentiate the upper 1% of sellers from everybody else, I'd love to hear it. And if you don't want to give it away, I also would understand that as well. No, absolutely fine. So the, 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 third, the third bucket of mastery in the, in the blueprint is this whole uh, new concept of customer success mastery. And I think in this day and age, there are a lot of things that we're all, we, all of us are helping our customers buy, and they are subscription-based, right? Whether it's you know storage in the cloud or... Um, enterprise software that's in the cloud or a, um, a service that they are paying for on an ongoing basis. In all of those, in all of these circumstances, the opportunity for us to lose the customer business comes up every time they're just about to renew their subscription, right? And, you know, a top seller would always make sure that when it's time for a re renewals to happen, it will be a foregone conclusion in the customer's mind that, of course, absolutely, yes, we're going to renew with Jeff, right? It's not something that they're going to think about hard. It's not something that they're going to say, oh, we need to revisit. So basically, the customer success mastery basically says, do such an amazing job taking care of your customer, not just through the buying process, but also making sure that the solution that they are getting is going to deliver the results and the outcomes that they have signed up for. You very passionately pursue those outcomes as much as you have pursued the sale itself, right? It sounds like you're saying the sale continues after the sale, Ash. Absolutely. In this day and age, it's absolutely true because now it's not the fact that they gave you some money and you took the money and you walked away. No, your, your profits are in how many times, year in or month in, month out, year in, year out, they are actually going to renew with you and not go with somebody else. That's the reality of the world today. So you want to continue the interaction with the customer and say, I'm going to send X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to follow up in a week to make sure everything is in good shape. Very much like in the restaurant, they keep coming back and saying, you know, how is the food? Did, you know, is, do you like it? Is everything good? And they keep coming back and they keep coming back and they keep coming back, right? In this case, if we're selling enterprise services, 
most of what we're doing now, everybody is thinking along the lines of a, a SaaS model or subscription model. And now you want to maintain that relationship so you continue to make that money and, and make sure that that customer is satisfied on an ongoing basis. It's a whole lot of, a whole lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sounds like yeah. a kind of like sales, customer service, marketing, all kind of mixing together. Um, exactly. It, it, exactly. It, it's not easy to be a salesperson these days. And it's interesting no. to know that the upper 1% of people are also in that same boat where like it's not like they just get to be done after it and claim their huge fat commission check or something. It's, it's that everybody in sales nowadays has to really step their game up. Exactly. That's really the, the biggest the biggest uh, aha there because of the changing dynamics of the environment today also, where, again, as, as I just said, it, it goes on. And if they don't re renew, you're just starting from scratch. Yeah. And, you know, they always say it, it costs more to get a new client than it does to keep one. So it makes there perfect go, exactly. sense why smart salespeople would also dig in to try and keep the ones that they have. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Ash, you've been phenomenal to come onto the show and, and share some of the secrets of the upper 1% of sellers. Um, I think there's obviously so, so much more there is to do uh, in that whole area. So what I would love is for you to take this time right now. You were nice enough to take the time out for us. Take this time right now. Tell people where they can go and learn more about your entire program, where they can learn about your podcast, where they can connect with you. Uh, anything that you're working on that you want to let people know about, this is your time in the show to really shine. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. So definitely would love everybody to go to this very long website. It's called top1percentsellersacademy.com. And that's where we have the podcast podcast episodes. We have a blog. We have also an opportunity for them to find the top sales books uh, in the world listed on the site, as well as an opportunity for them also to become members of the academy, tap into a whole lot more content from amazing sales experts. And definitely reach out to me if you would love to create a top 1% sellers program in your company, or even leverage some of our amazing sales, sales coaches that work with us, and we can make those available for you and your organization as well. Uh, so I think that's really the best destination for them is to go to the top 1% sellers academy and start really uh, uh, leveraging a lot of the amazing content that's there. Cool. And then when uh, we were catching up a little bit earlier, you were telling me about something else you're working on. You want to share a little bit about that uh, with, uh, with our audience? Absolutely. So I've, ta I've taken some of my time and I got passionate about a, uh, a uh, financial technology company called Best Cash, where we're really looking at how we can, again, put, put technology to use, uh, especially when it comes to how we spend money on, on a daily basis. So that's another, if somebody's listening to us and they're interested in sort of entrepreneurial activities, they can check out bestcash.us, where we think we're working on an amazing personal finance product that's going to help people essentially put up to $10,000 a year in their pocket. So it's very exciting for us because that's the other part of my experience recently. I've become an angel investor and I, uh, I'm also sort of, you know, I've just founded this company as well to try to drive uh, more value for us as well. So it's very exciting. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. I think, you know, there was just like the, the number of uh, the value bombs per minute were, were <laughs> very high. And I think it's great for either, you know, people in the top 20%. But I actually think people who are just normal in sales are going to get a lot out of this mindset of, you know, even if you're just a, you know, let's say you're a bottom percent seller, I think learning about how to adjust your mindset and see things with more opportunity, knowing what's possible, it is got to be really, really helpful. Yeah. So, somebody yeah. who's a complete blank slate to 
sales for the most part. I think that was the most eye-opening uh, insight that you brought to the table about how you could just broaden your scope and everything changes after that. Yeah, and, and Absolutely. the different ways that you can do that. So I, I really, you know, I appreciate all the different uh, insights you brought into this and, and the fact that you took the time to come share them with us. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. Yeah, Enjoyed and it. I would say this episode was not only really good, but I would also say that it's probably very... Probably very shareable, right? Excellent. <laughs> There are a couple thank yous and shout outs in order. First, thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value, and a quick thank you to me for producing the show. I'd like to send a shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song Always and A Himitsu for the use of our outro song Adventures. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jay Gibbard, and you can follow me at Caroline Tassone. You can follow the show at Shareable underscore pod and just Shareable Podcast on everything else. That's Facebook, the gram, everything. You can email us at sharablepodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe. Do all the things. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating. Review us on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell your mom. I don't know. She might like it. My mom does. Hey, mom. <laughs>